0: We are live on Facebook. Um, sorry about yesterday. <laughs> I think that's the only thing we can really say is apologize about the, um, about the technical issues. But that was us testing out Facebook Live in preparation for our um, long-awaited return to podcasting, um, which was uh, prompted by a pandemic. I-, I thought it would be something a little less serious, to be honest with you. You know, just like, you know, just just getting together, Steve. No, no, no it takes the world to be shut down.
1: To, uh, the, the, entire, the entire world to be shut down to make sure that we can get something going here. Oh, I mean, what is?
0: Oh, I know, I know. And that just makes it sound so self-important because I'm really busy. Yeah? Too busy, too busy to get on this podcast in business. Um, but we're, we're super lucky to have jet-setting, world-leading, all those things. <laughs> mr walt fritz on our show walt is a um, uh, a king of manual therapy uh somewhat um experienced over i think he said something like 20 30 years began as a personal trainer and moved no, no, no
2: no 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 oh my wrong no, you're wrong yeah i never did personal. i'm a pt pt start finish yeah that's my that's my you know journey, what? That's my... P-
0: PT means personal trainer in the UK. So when I went uh... to your seminar and you said it, I was like, oh, he was a personal trainer to begin oh, with.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, uh, physio. Physio. 20. Yeah, yeah. No, we're PTs in the United States. We're physios everywhere else. Yeah, yeah.
0: I've done, I've done well there. Yeah, yeah. Physi- physical yeah. therapist? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. there you
1: go. Yeah. You wouldn't know that, mate, because you don't, it's not, you're not from America, yeah. so. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: I don't need to be. That's the thing. That's the thing about yeah. it. Um, yeah. But um, I was I was lucky to attend one of your seminars, Walt, um, in uh, Birmingham, yep. um, UK, where you took us through a lot of your thoughts and a lot of, like you say, like um, uh, perceptions and and uh, views of the industry that often are met with a little bit of <clears throat> I don't know. A bit of a guarded stance maybe because it, um, after after visiting your seminar as well and reading a lot of the stuff that you and your colleagues put out on Facebook, it does seem like the world of manual therapy is going through somewhat of a metamorphosis of what it really means to um, be in contact with someone's skin and what that really does. Yeah, and people yeah. believe it does, but if you, if you can um, uh, uh, give us uh, your your favorite parts of your history and where you've been going recently, that would be
2: great. Thanks. Well, first of all, I I don't know the protocol. Should I be wearing this during a podcast? I mean, what what's the the social distancing on a podcast anyway? Sorry, bad joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad joke. Um, metamorphosis. You know what? I, I uh, that that would be lovely if if manual therapy is truly undergoing a metamorphosis there's a there's a small but growing group of us who kind of would like to think so um you know i am i'm a pt a physical therapist graduated back in 1985 um, and started my manual therapy training way early on um, before the evidence-based model was sort of the norm before we were under the uh, obligation to work from that that model and um, manual therapy you know what at least in the united states there's there's camps there's divisions there's empires there's rabbit holes the manual therapy takes you the more you take the more you learn um the more you learn the less you have communication with the outside world talking about other stuff until you're an advanced master therapist and you're down at the bottom of the stinking rabbit hole only hearing people talk about your tissue and your beliefs and echo chamber the whole thing and i learned something called myofascial release which was supposedly about the fascia, the connective tissue that separates and connects um, and gives muscle their form, et cetera. And a lot of secret science regarding that myofascial release curriculum that um, I put into practice. I did it for years. It worked really well. You know, my outcomes were my evidence um, and I kind of turned my back on people who said, you don't have enough evidence to support this. Um, That went on for a long time. I practiced that way for about 15 years and then um, had a falling out with my mentor at the time and kind of got pushed off on an iceberg looking for a new group of people who would actually talk to me and communicate with me. And as a result, I kind of touched base with some of those people who were starting that metamorphic change, hopefully, of viewing manual therapy not as um, this, the singular things we think we're doing to the tissue, right, to the muscle, to the to the whatever, um, but how that input, how that, that peripheral input Um, that we make as manual therapists and that's massage therapists and everybody else physical therapists when we touch we think we're doing things to the muscle but you know what we're we're attaching meaning to the nerves um, sensory input to the brain the brain is receiving that input and possibly changing the outcome to the periphery and that's really what's forming a lot of this metamorphosis and i think it's a really good word to describe this that more and more people are um, are seeing maybe the limitations in the rabbit hole learning that they've learned. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I, As of this year, I'm dropping the name uh, Fascia Release from all of my coursework, from my website, from my seminars. I'm in the process of that right now. And I'm really just changing the thought from it's about the fascia and all the secrets of within that to this is manual therapy. We're touching people. We're trying to introduce change via via the periphery, via the brain, via placebo, via perceptions, via fears, via biopsychosocial factors, everything that's included within that, and not just the thought that we're able to select a tissue for inclusion in our intervention.
1: Yes, I mean, I love that, uh, that outlook, and I know you do as well, Chris. We've, we've spent years thinking about it in the, in the singing world, and what's interesting you touched upon there. What is um I'm sure we get onto this in terms of the actual practicality and what you actually do do. Because one aspect of that that I've always had a bit of a, um, I'd say a problem with, but but um, at least I've thought a lot about is what do you think about in that moment before you do something? And with manual therapy, obviously, the hands-on really is the is the um, kind of vehicle to the change. Yeah. Yeah. But then the, you, what you're saying is essentially we don't want the thought to compromise. Any change that could possibly be open by, I ne- say negatively, but at least constraining our thoughts to that one particular train. Um, but so, so we, like in singing, for example, I know that a lot of people would think about. I say, I know. I'm sure a lot of people think about. Okay, so this time I'm going to, my tongue's going to move when I sing this line, or the next time it might be the. This time it's the forehead, or you know, this time it's my breathing My breathing's got to be right. So we know why that happens, and it's because. It, it, it lessens the overwhelm and it gives us some direction. But right, how do, right. so, so, what is the what is the what is the approach for you in terms
2: okay, of? Okay, so you come into me with a with a singing issue that you equate to your tongue, and the typical intervention strategy from somebody like me or somebody any kind of expert, whether even a vocal coach, <laughs> is often that you're coming in to see this professional to get to gain their wisdom. Right? And it's kind of the model, the way it's set. It's a hierarchical model where the therapist training experience or the clinician's training experience is, is basically supersedes the fears and the expectations and the beliefs of the patient. But yet we walk into that with the strategy in mind that this person is an expert and I'm going to take what they tell me to do and I'm going to get better. And you know what? The medical model is certainly set up like that. I mean, people are doctors and, and everything else. And they've got all this training and You know, I'm just a patient and you come in and you expect them to know what's wrong with you. And as a manual therapist, we, I might come up to you, Steve, and say, well, you know, let me, let me hear you sing. And I may say, oh, I know what's wrong with him. And then I may do something to you that I think is right. And um, I, I know a lot of models of manual therapy and whether it's general manual therapy for the whole body or for laryngeal therapy, for vocal massage and all that come from that, that, um, hierarchical model that the professional is supposed to know what's wrong and then what to apply to you steve to allow your tongue to be freer and what i what i attempt to do is make you and i um equal create a therapeutic alliance where instead of me telling you what's wrong and what needs to be done i certainly have my ideas but so do you so using manual therapy on your tongue for instance i may grab hold of your tongue with permission and understanding why etc grab hold of your tongue. But then I task you with the responsibility of telling me whether I've replicated an aspect of that tongue tension that you described, right? So there's something at the end of a song that mm-hmm. makes you say, damn, my tongue is tight. So what I asked you to do beforehand is, Steve, I want you to, can you get in touch with that memory, that feeling of what that feels like? Because when I've got your tongue, I want to see if I can replicate that feeling. And if not, I need to keep working versus me telling you, I think I know what's wrong with you. You're basically the one who's going to tell me what, whatever you just did, that's it. That's relevant. That feels useful. Or, you know what? I don't like that. That feels like it might hurt me or it's totally irrelevant. I try and at all times make it a therapeutic alliance between you and I, instead of I'm the master and you're the student, right? Which a lot of people struggle with because you learn a lot. Your experience tells you stuff. Your training does. It's like you can't get rid of that, whether you're a vocal coach or a, a PT manual therapist like me, you can't get rid of that, but you can temper it by by really demanding that partnership to take place.
1: Wonderful, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot, absolutely a lot of sense. And, and it, obviously, that will then direct all of your language, um, as well as your you know, yeah. the, the the thing that you are actually, um, the way in which you are handling your client very much uh, so, very much time. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's been the Go ahead, Chris. I mean, yeah, I was, I, mean, say, I, was, I, was just, I was just, yeah, I was. Just, sorry, one second. I was just going to say on that like, I don't want to keep going on you know, laboring this point, but um, please do. Yeah, I, I just think that, um, that, um, that, uh, what I'm hearing from this is really encouraging. Is that you know, opening the opening the playing field in terms of, you know, how much. Um, how much language plays a part in and I would say sing, the singing the, the singing studio you know um, mm-hmm. as opposed to also being able to kind of get hold of someone um, and and do something to them to to invoke a response because as soon as we use language we are guiding those thoughts you know mm-hmm. and maybe there's a slight difference there in terms of well, at least a, a lot more consideration that needs to be had for the for, this, for the singing teacher in terms of the language in which they're using, because essentially, yeah, you could so we could walk in with you and just be, and you can do something to them and not say a word, just be like deal with that, do you know, so yeah. that what yeah. you will, right? But um, tri- yeah, yeah,
2: I think it's difficult for us clinicians mm. to, to 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 temper our ego. Because it really does come to the ego, and I don't mean the ego in the negative sense, but that sense of what we know and what we think and what we believe. You know, we bring that ego into the room, and not only do we bring it in, but they're paying for us. They're paying us for that ego, right? But it's so easy to to then come in as the expert, the master, and then tell them what's wrong with them and tell them what they need to 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 fix it. And you know, so I, you you cannot let go of ego, right? But can you try to come? Can you come to a partnership with their ego, with their fears and expectations. You know, One of the big things with the evidence-based model is the one third of it is um, patient expectation and values, patient preference and values. And I think that in a medical model, that's one that's just given so much less attention than the evidence and the clinician's experience applying the evidence. But I see it in in your world too, because you know what? We come in with all this training and education and maybe experience on stage or wherever, it's like, I know what to do. But the one thing missing from that, that, um, that conversation is, I know a lot, but I don't know what you're feeling, right? So what I want to do is do something that you feel is relevant and important and that you feel isn't harmful or damaging in any way, or you know, even worse, something just a waste of time. Do you feel this important? is important? And that's the thing that I strive for. Um, it's really a process of negotiation with my patient. Every time my, my client, whatever you want to call them, every time we work.
0: Right on. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Steve, that, when I was um, going to talk there, it was kind of a very similar thing. Um, and, and the more we talk about this, the more it kind, of, um, it kind of leads you down the thought path of if you're a student or you're a teacher, that whole patient preference and their values, you know, like what, we, what, we, what we've spoken about in so many cases, especially when it comes to finding a singing teacher... Um, That eventually, you know, if you find someone and you're happy with them, you'll stick with them. And then you've got obviously a greater chance of resolving issues because you're consistently working with someone. But in that first lesson, um, so many singers are just would say, I visited quite a few, but um, I didn't gel. We didn't gel. That could have been, you know, quite often we might talk about, well, that might be personalities. It might be so many other things. But as a, as a singer, it might a lot of the time be, I didn't feel like my thoughts were valued at that yeah. point, yeah. in which case um, I struggle to buy into that person because I don't feel like I'm being listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, and much like the coach, it's like we we do have to acknowledge, don't we, what we're, what's being said to us and not discount it as, oh, no, it's not that, it's that, because that's what the evidence yeah. says, of course, um, right. In in which case they might go down with you, but... putting a bit of a a different spin on that what if you do meet someone who absolutely wants to be directed who almost I I guess either they don't feel what they feel they just know they're in trouble or um or they uh they don't take responsibility for what they're feeling or, or say it do do you feel like you need to adjust to those people and actually go yeah
2: yeah um you know so you mean? got you get your psychosocial factors, right? You've got certain cultures, certain religions, certain set, you know um, sec, one sex work in another where um, it may not be first of all okay in that culture or society for them to tell you what they're feeling or if something's too right or too much or not right. So you have to be very cognizant with from that perspective that who's sitting across the table from you. I may ask you, Chris, for your feedback, but you know personally, socially, psychologically, there might be reasons and barriers to why, it's not okay for you to say, I don't like that, or that's too much, or whatever. And those are some of the roads we always have to go down in, in terms of understanding, you know, the person across the table from us or wherever we're working, right? But there certainly are always patients who come in to see me here in my practice, right? Who, you know what? You're too much work, Walt. I, I just want somebody to fix me, right? I want you I want somebody to tell me what to do. I want somebody to tell me what's wrong with me. And and you're, you're making me work too hard. And occasionally I've actually had a person say that, but usually um, I, I can tell, right? They're, they're just, I'm, I'm a lot of work. I'm a lot of work in terms of what I demand of you. And But I, I hope that I explain my model, my beliefs, and my perceptions of why that information is important to a point where you understand why your input is not only necessary, but valuable, right? It doesn't always work out, but let's face it: you and I, we never click with everybody who walks in our door. And you know, we may blame them for not doing the work, which I think is is just a real cheesy cop out um, for making it their fault for why they didn't get better. Or in a PT world, right? We say, "Oh, that's because you didn't do your home exercises." Right? It's like somehow I I had the magic to know what's perfect for you. And while it's helpful if they do the work, I want to make sure that what I'm doing right here is is turning on that switch for them to say i understand why you're doing what you're doing or you're asking me to do what what you asked me to do right there and i think that's the negotiated aspect of of the work that i just i just feels crucial not just in this small little niche of manual therapy but expanding it into education into you know uh, all the work that you do as well in terms of voice etc i just think working for that buy-in um it adds that layer where there's more meaning and value for the client or the patient.
1: Is it an easy question? Easy question to answer to say, how do you do that?
2: <laughs> how do I? Well, which yes. one of those? I lose myself in my own conversation. <laughs> which, is it? Is it easy to do what to get by? So
1: Yeah. Yeah. So let's just say someone walks in now and, and, and obviously that is the goal based on the preconceived notions of what people expect from this relationship with you and, and everything that's concerned with it. What, what, what's your, your process to, to, to break someone that, no, not,
2: break, but to to get (laughs) on board. (laughs) That's what we document in the notes, but no, I don't want to break them into it. Um, it. It's, it's truly, you know what, um, it's an it's an N of one with every single person that walks in the room in terms of, OK, what's important to this person? What do they feel is wrong with you? Right. Because, Steve, if you come in to me with something in terms of base of basic tongue tension and someone said to you, you know, that's because you've got weakness here. Right. Um, pick I, I pick something. Let's just pick that. Right. Um, it's like, OK, I'm I'm going to validate that. Belief, And whether it's your belief or whether it's a belief you someone else said to you or you read on Dr. Google or whatever, right? You've got this weakness here. And what I try to do is, first off, is never allow anybody to lock into one thing. It might be weakness, but it also could be that, that sense of fatigue that you feel could be a remnant, a neurological remnant from some other event, right? We'll never know with certainty if it's weakness or that remnant. But can I can, – is it okay if I touch you here, Steve, to see if we can – connect with that feeling and second, well, no, because I haven't sang for three hours and that's the only time I ever feel that. I'm I'm role-playing, right? I'm giving Steve and Walt the same time here, right? No, I only ever feel it after three hours. Well, okay, can we replicate it right now in a way that you can recognize? And that's where, you know, with permission and boundaries and all those things, I'm going to take hold of you with my manual therapy type touch, which is a slower Um, static engagement versus manipulation, which is real common in a lot of laryngeal work, right? But I'm going to take hold of this area. And is there anything I can do here, Steve, to bring you in connection with that memory of that feeling, like right here? And that's what I would try and do. And if I can, I stand a really good chance of being able to help you process through that. The simple thing is to say, oh, oh, you've got tightness here. Let's stretch it. But The the process itself is just so complex of what happens when we do manual therapy or non-manual therapy. It's so easy to say the muscle's weak or the muscle's tight, but most of it's happening up here. And whether it's descending modulation from the brain that creates the change or the sense that your brain is picking up relevant input here and making the decision to allow change to be possible, right? So um, did that answer your question or did that muddy things further, right?
1: no not at all that's great yeah good, absolutely right. the, the process yeah yeah it's really good to get some um yeah some tangibility to the to the process here i'm sure a lot of people out there will be thinking to themselves i totally totally want board with with uh with the with the ethos there and we just need to yeah, yeah. um start to look at ways and and the difference but, in
2: my sorry, sorry the difference in my work between a lot of it is vocal let's just say massage massage is is let's just stereotype it and say it's that mm-hmm. manipulation is this mm-hmm. the um X myofascial release, now manual therapy work that I do is a much more slower static stretch. That if we, if I connected with that feeling of tongue tension, tongue fatigue with you, Steve, um, I might hang out here for five or ten or fifteen minutes to see if we can allow change to happen, and whether it's the the muscle itself that's letting go, or this the tension or whatever, or it takes that time for your brain to. Become aware enough that it can allow change to happen. That's a big difference with the work that it's not massage, not manipulation. It tends to be a more slower, static work. I like to say gentle, but sometimes we're getting in there deeply, right? Quote, unquote, deeply, not painfully. But in a way that though that we linger long enough so your awareness has time to, to be put on alert that something's happening and maybe change is possible
0: awesome yeah absolutely do, do You know what? this is kind of what, something you said in the last um sort of segment that you spoke was um talking about somebody that has been come in with that ailment of tongue weakness that's yeah. been implanted by a previous therapist or even a vocal coach or whatever and that brings us on to like questions that have been asked of us about like placebo nocebo yeah. like being told you are something, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, how does that impact singers, you know, from your point of view and your work on voice? Uh,
2: Well, the placebo and nocebo, I mean, I I think people have sort of a passing understanding of what placebo is, although it's often viewed as more of a, maybe um, a trick or or a game, that sort of thing. But um, I think the under under understood one is the nocebo, because when somebody comes into me, and says, you know, gee, my previous therapist said, I know as soon as those words come out of their mouth that we're in for a nocebo. And nocebo <laughs> is, is, just like a placebo is doing or saying or giving something that can actually boost outcomes, right? Potentially add to the value of the engagement. Um, a nocebo is something that's given or done or said that, that can diminish the chance for progress. And if somebody has been told that, well, gosh, you've got the worst muscle tension I've ever felt and I'm a professional, right? There's a nocebo in action right there because what that that professional did was they said to this poor um, sponge of a brain that you are the worst that I've ever felt. And and, there, and there's actually evidence to support this that what that person done did may have been to actually hinder you from ever recovering or getting better or freeing yourself from that problem because something got planted up here that I am so bad that this is the worst this person's ever felt. And I, we, we use nocebic language all the time. And it's, it's once you understand it, you start catching yourself. And, you know, you, you can't beat yourself up for everything we say and you can't analyze everything you say. But I really, I think it's important to sterilize some of the messages that we've been taught, that we've been using, and really ask, is this in the best interest of the patient or am I just trying to sell them something? right? Um, and sometimes I think that it becomes an effective sales tool to plant a seed of negative in the patient. No, placebo is an aspect of everything that you and I do. If someone comes to you, um, Chris, because you are the best, um, and I they am. were told you, you know, well, no. you know the somebody said, go see Chris because he is the best. There's a placebo in action right there. That that patient or that person was given a placebo to go see you and Apparently, the evidence on placebo, and there's a lot of it out there, says that you have a better chance of helping that person than someone else who was told, you know what, this guy's okay, but, you know, I wouldn't go him. I go see Steve. Steve, you, you just I got would. granted the wish of the placebo right there, right? Um, we, placebo's a, a factor in every engagement that all of us work with. It's just understanding what it is. There's some decent texts out there on placebo effect and some nice papers on it, but just understanding more about it is important but understanding more about nocebo i think is the one that people really should pay attention to mm. you know it's, 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 it's even
0: like in business like a, a placebo is even what price you put on your website oh they must be good they are x number of pounds and then you exactly. go in and, and elated even if it's you know um generally a masquerade of skills not not, not real ones yeah, yeah it really it really goes it really goes to every level doesn't it That
2: yeah yeah, a colleague of mine um, from Canada, his name is Brian Fulton, wrote a book called The Placebo Effect in Manual Therapy, you can get it on Amazon or whatever. Um, and it's interesting because he sort of unpackages what the placebo effect is from a scientific perspective, but then gives it the practical application of how it applies to manual therapy um, environments and settings and also the nocebo. and Um, from an ethical perspective how we can leverage placebo and how we can avoid nocebo and it's a it's definitely a book that i recommend because even if you're not doing manual therapy understanding more of those concepts i think is really important
1: is that where the there's a bit of a um lack of trust in the in the placebo for manual therapy because i mean i'm not sure if there is but i can imagine that it's really hard to actually for those who want it gain evidence on the placebo manual therapy because you can't it's not like you can fake a massage to, right, to compare right, against, right. Right? It's, right? It's not like you well, even, in a regular,
2: yeah. I mean, even in a regular study, it's hard to do sham massage, right? But to sort of kind of almost not really answer your question, <laughs> what I really find interesting is when you bring up the word placebo to a group of manual therapists, and whether it's PTs or massage therapists or, you know, whatever kind of therapist you want to talk about, how insulted they get. Like, somehow... You're you're questioning my skill. This is all about my skill and my understanding and my my exquisite training. And you're telling me that part of this outcome is based on placebo. Um, I, I I find that um, somewhat amusing. Um, I, a lot of people don't, but um, I I think it's we really need to take a look at all the evidence that's out there and all the potential factors, whether they're real factors, contextual factors, of which placebo is a contextual factor, because. It's at play all the time. And you know what? You might as well embrace it. It's there.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, we, we, we spoke a little bit earlier about, um, about the frequency of manual therapy, i.e. someone who feels like they need to get frequent massages or relief from areas um, of their voice. Um, mm-hmm. And I presume you'll have similar people in your practice who come mm-hmm. very regularly who need to... Um keep on top of their game. Um, right. what, do you, what do you notice about those people like what? Um, how do you help someone to need you less, let's say?
2: Oh no, I need the money, so I keep them coming in. It's this massive bell curve of how you know sometimes we, we see somebody for what seems like an incredibly severe problem, and we work with them once or twice and then we don't see them again because you know what? they're well. We see other people with relatively minor issues who seem to linger or seem to need more of our help. The one, one of the things I try to discourage is is creating dependency. Um, Manual therapy takes a hit a lot in the um, evidence based community because it's thought of as a passive intervention, one that doesn't empower the patient to take ownership of their issue, self efficacy, et cetera. Whereas exercise, you teach a person an exercise, they can always go back to that if they have a problem. But if you, do something with manual therapy, and they the problem comes back, they return to you. And I, I understand that there's, in my world, there's a lot of bias against manual therapy in the physical therapy profession. But um, my view on that is, number one, if I allow you to be able to do something differently with the work that I do in manual therapy, um, you're gonna go out there and start doing it, which in and of itself is self-efficacy. It helps to build and maintain but I'm also not just going to lay you on my table for an hour and then say, OK, you're done. Now pay me. Um, we're going we're to discuss strategies for self-care. We're going to d- discuss things that you can do both from a hands on perspective as well as a hands off perspective. Exercise is the one that people love to dose their patients or their clients. Right. Because, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, you're just weak. You need to get stronger. Um, I-, I see that strengthening exercise model as a subset of movement my goal is to get my patients my clients moving again and if that's exercise and strengthening because that's what you love to do or whether that's singing or dancing or whatever um i want you to get out there and move just to keep what we've got and move so you feel like you're not quite as damaged as you once thought you did right mm. I think that, I all of, did i answer all the question there
0: yeah
1: you did on that though what well, this it's, it's a fascinating topic for us which is the void between someone's expectations and uh, the reality of their life, because as we, as we know, you know, the behaviors of their day to day is often the biggest, well, I mean, I speak out of turn, I, I, that's what I, I've seen to be the case, but uh, you can speak more into that, obviously, but it's, it seems to be like the behaviors are the, the major con- contributor to, to what is, uh, why they're on the bed in the first place in this mm-hmm. in, in your, in your studio. So, um, but um, so, what it's kind of an open it's a big question but but firstly do you experience that a lot where someone's expectations of their recovery or visions of where they want to be massively are are, are misaligned with the way in which they they live their day-to-day life and therefore if that is the case and how do you how do you manage those
2: situations uh boy we're almost getting into psychoanalytics here um you know I, their goals are my goals. Um, mm. I, I'm, I don't know that I should be the one to judge it as an unrealistic goal. Um, we, we can't, we have our thoughts, we have our beliefs, right? But if someone's coming into to me um, with a goal to, you know, fill in the blank or whatever that is, all right, let's see what it takes to get there. Um, mm. I, I, I like to say, here's a promise I make, and I use it in my practice, no matter what somebody's coming in for, within three sessions, Whatever we're doing here, the two of us, should have some tangible, positive, lasting change in your life, or let's not keep doing it and let me not keep selling it to you, right? Um, I don't know how far you can get, whether you can reach that goal or not, but I know that within a very short period of time, the type of work we're doing, it's both manual therapy-based as well as the way we kind of integrate movement into this approach. Um, You know what? You should know pretty quickly if something is working. I I now realize that um, the question you asked me was about the person who, unless they massage their jaw every day, they're having that problem, right? How do you deal with that person? Well, some people, you know what? Um, Maybe that is the reality, right? Maybe because their past circumstances, injury, trauma, or how they hold themselves or whatever, maybe that is their lot in life. And I like to think that, Oh, I can crack the code. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Um, If you're, I'm going to because in, in the written stuff that you sent me, you talked about I can't uh, I have to massage my jaw every day or or, um, my, or your voice will suffer. Right. Well, OK, you're doing it this way. Can we try something different? Right. And that's where my strategy of using a more slow, sustained hold. A lot of people, when they come to me, they've never done work like that. They've never had work like that done or they've never done it to themselves because they're used to doing the massage, the rubbing or the manipulation, trying to get in there and break up that spasm. And a lot of what I do is more of a slower engagement. It's not necessarily better, but it's introducing another variable, another option. If no matter what you do, you have to massage your jaw every day, well, let's see if there's something else we can work on that may allow a different outcome. I don't know if I can do it, right? You don't know if you can do it, but it's, it's worth a try. Why keep doing the same thing? Let's try something different, right? And again, I, I use that promise within three, session, three sessions, something we're doing here should be making a difference or why bother coming to see me?
0: Yeah, good point. And, uh, you know, th- that makes me think of, um, it, like if you're in particular situations as a, as a singer, <clears throat> it might not be that the person who eventually resolved your problem had the key, but rather they just did something different. And that was- or,
2: or they built the right relationship with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's really interesting. So that that just talking about the jaw, that does bring us on to something kind (laughs) of practical for the guys out there. Um, And uh, when we canvassed our Facebook group, um, there was pretty much an overwhelmingly strong response to either reporting tension in the jaw Mm-hmm. presuming masseter sort of area the, the bitey stuff but also in conjunction with that often in the same comment talking about the jaw and underneath it and what people would they say and my tongue root or at least i think it is you know yeah. so right. it's um it's kind of ambiguous what they really mean but so how,
2: right.
0: how do you often go about your self-help recommendations for singers who report that and it and it is right. genuinely there
2: okay uh, well, whether it's genuinely there or there's a perception of it being there, to me, that's not my call to make, right? If they're reporting it, um, then it's there, right? Um, versus me needing to go in and validate, because sometimes people expect us to say, oh, my God, you're so tight. Plan on nocebo, right? I may not, quote, unquote, feel anything, but it's a real issue to you. So what I try to do is I try, like I talked about earlier, I try and connect with it. And what I'm going to let's just let's, we're going to we're going to make do on the jaw right here, Um in terms of working, as you described, the master or the bitey parts. Is that what you said, the bitey parts? Yeah, is that, yeah. a, that's great, that's a Grey's Anatomy type of thing, the bitey parts. <laughs> I, yeah. I like that. I turned I, down I, that job, yeah. The, the yeah, end yeah. End that. yeah, no, I understand, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the UK version of Grey's Anatomy. It's not in the, the US version, the bitey <laughs> parts, but here here we go. So, you know, and, and there's nothing absolutely wrong with doing stripping or cross friction massage to what you perceive as that muscle belly. My approach is to, what happens if we kind of hang out here? Now, I tend to use the heel of my hand. I'm very heel centric like that. A lot of people like to use their fingertips. It it all works, right? But can I get into that area above the the mandible itself? And maybe I'm going to do a little mashing, therapeutic mashing into the master itself, but I'm applying just enough medial pressure, midline pressure, so that when I drag my my hands downward, I'm creating a nice um, sense of opening, elongation, stretching of the musculature, maybe the joint, the soft tissue, the skin, um, the perception, the awareness, right? But with my hand and whether it's with the heel of my hand or the way I drive, whether it's forward or down or back, I want to see if I can connect or replicate that exact sensation that drove you to my clinic, right? You told me that there's something that if I don't do this every day then my voice will suffer or my jaw whatever that is right um, can I can I come in contact with that experience of yours not the experience that I find or think is there but Chris can I can I get your jaw your face your skin your perception and your awareness to a point where you say yeah now you're starting to get that feeling I get at the end of a performance and that's that's the sweet spot to me I don't wanna just do a bunch of stretches because they're supposed to be good for us or I tell you it's good for you, right? I want to vary my pressure, my direction, how I do this work until your eyes start to light up and whether it's a verbal response or a nonverbal response where you're telling me yeah, whatever you're doing right now, Walt, that feels really important. And my entire way of doing this work, whether I, it was years ago when I believe I was releasing the fascia or stretching the fascia or now is a very slow, sustained type of stretch, but that doesn't mean you can't do quicker stretches or you have to devote 10 minutes to it every night by just holding this stretch like this. But I think there is value in the length of time you spend. I used to think the value was because it took that long for the fascial release. Now I think the value in spending that amount of time is it gives your whole nervous system from periphery up through central nervous system to your brain and down back through um, to the periphery, it gives it enough time to adapt and respond and to modify the outcome. All right. Sometimes it happens quick, but sometimes it takes a while.
0: So when you, when you said um, <clears throat> you look for the replicated feeling, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me, and then um, let's say someone was doing it for themselves and they were like, oh, yeah, that feels like it. And, it, yeah. and they can feel maybe the ache, the similar ache that they will yeah. get. Um, So that's
2: where I want them. I want them to hold it. Right. I don't want them to hurt themselves or feel like they're inflicting pain. But in my opinion, those are three dangerous words. In my opinion, until you get to that point where you recognize that the stretch is relevant and you're tapping into that experience, you're not quite there yet. You need to keep seeking and searching.
0: Right. And then you would say, um, would you say then uh, what kind of sensational marker would you say to someone to say, once you start to feel this happen, that's enough. You can move on. Yeah. What, what is that for you?
2: Well, here, here you are as my patient. And you're expecting me to you, you expect me to tell you something, you know, really scientific sounding, like oh, you should hold it for x number of minutes or repeated x number of times. And some people, I need to lie to and tell them that stuff, right? But for the most part, I'm going to say, um, Chris, I want you to stretch that area until it feels like things are resolving, or I want you to stretch that area until your arms get sore. Or I want you to stretch that area until damn, it's time to go. Right. I want I think we make this stuff up in terms of dosing things to others or dosing things to, um to ourselves in terms of making it, oh you got to do it 10 times three reps of 10. That's that personal trainer, um, which I'm not but right but physical therapists, we say this stuff all the time, um, as if somehow we know the answer. Hang out here until it feels like you've had enough. Um All patients won't respond to that. Sometimes I have to lie to them and dose it, right? But for the most Mm -hmm. part, I want to tell you, Chris, just hang out here until it feels like you've done some good work and then move on to something else.
0: Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to run through some of these
2: other things we talked about?
1: Please. Yeah, go for
2: it. I I don't want to interrupt, but but since we're on a roll with some of this other work, um, let's talk. I got four things I wanted to show you. One is sort of that general jaw region work where, um, (laughs) I stretch it this way but you know what is completely bizarre sometimes when you take it in the opposite direction the sense of compression that just feels lovely and even though it runs counter to what we think we should be doing in terms of stretching all the muscles that go this way sometimes going in that direction feels really 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 useful right and that's where the patient-led perspective is important versus the ego therapist or interventionist-led experience right because This may feel brilliant to you, but it makes no sense to me from my perspective, right? Another thing, what about base of tongue, right? Um, One thing we can do, I do a lot of intraoral stuff and I'm not gonna be sticking my hand in my mouth here um, for the camera because it just gets messy and I can't talk really well. But um, if, if you were to take your thumbs and you came up under the floor of the mouth, base of tongue, we're not right here at the edge of the chin. We're coming back further, coming back further more at um, almost where the hyoid bone, where the, the tongue originates at the hyoid bone. We're coming to almost the base of the hyoid. And I'm gonna, move, I'm gonna allow my fingers to glide and slide here, but I'm not gonna in reality be doing it. It's this sort of direction. We come in and again, I'm not doing the stretch for the sake of stretching it. I'm doing the stretch to see if I can connect with either your issue, or in my case, my own issue, can I go in there and poke and prod and compare and contrast and find something that feels relevant and useful and familiar, right? I'm looking for the experience that my client came in the door with. I'm looking to connect with that feeling. And if I find it, right, if that's that end of a performance tongue tension, what happens if I simply stay engaged with it for a while? Yep, we are stretching it but you're gonna have to sit through an hour of my lecture to to learn what we're stretching and how that occurs up here, right? Um, That might be another thing we could do. We could come in from more the front and work our way back. If you're not strong with your fingers, you could come in with your knuckles. If you like the concept of massage or soft tissue manipulation and you wanna try a more aggressive stripping or massaging, that's all good. Um, I tend to be um, a stayer, I linger versus doing the movement but that's just the way i've been doing this work for 30 years now All right. let's talk about um um tongue itself right um tongue tension base of tongue tension um a really really nice stretch if you're if you're able to get into your mouth is i tend to use um gauze for this kind of work and even when i'm doing it on myself the gauze um let me just open this one up um i like a gauze of about this size in the states it's a three by three inch pad but if there you go look at that god there you go so um, can you hand me one so uh, i get to travel with this and you know it's part of like you know i I still have a lot of juvenile but if if you could take hold of your tongue by getting your thumbs under the tongue and i'm asking you to get your, your thumbs fairly far back to base of tongue right and i'm going to ask you to put two hands in if possible not to hold from the center the frenulum tends to be pretty sensitive if you go a little bit more lateral Mm. now steve as you got your thumbs there take your thumbs kind of straight back a bit right you don't want to gag yourself but take your thumbs farther back before you grab hold okay and once you're there then you're going to then grab hold with the top fingers if you feel like you're sliding that's why we use the gauze right Mm. and what we're going to do then is try a, basically a little bit of a lift toward the ceiling with your thumbs, or maybe a lift and a scoop out with your thumbs. You can take your fingers and almost like you're doing a little bit of a roll, right? Coming excuse me, up with the thumbs and rolling forward with the fingers. When you've got the gauze in place, it's so much easier to get that really good grip to the tongue. Again, I'm, I'm looking not simply to, to stretch your tongue. I'm looking to stretch it or press it or seek or search, wander around in there in a way where not only does it feel like I'm stretching it, but that's the feeling that you talked about, or that's an aspect of that feeling. I, I never do work just to do a stretch. Every stretch I apply, is it's a, it's a seeking behavior. It's to seek. replication to what you feel is important and then we negotiate further from there how's my pressure all those things okay so that's another really good um, basic tongue stretch on my website i have some of these um um, self stretches um in video format that link you to youtube from the website that um i I think that chris was going to tell you about later one more um let's talk about a little bit of laryngeal work now in the voice field in the speech pathology field there's lots of um there's lots of logical places that the larynx seems to be or it should be in terms of low, high, et cetera. Um, and sometimes when you do something that runs counter to that, immediately sends somebody radar off and go, why are you doing that? The larynx is already too high or too low or whatever. Right. Um, and I'm going to allow you those um, those ways of looking at. But let's, just for the sake of, of right now, let's just grab a hold of the whole thyroid cartilage. And what I'm going to do, I have a really, really broad and wide connection here. Um, I'm really probably more hyoid or, or thyrohyoid space. I'm just above the thyroid cartilage and kind of doing hand over hand with myself. I'm I'm squeezing just enough so I feel like I've got a hold of the structure underneath. I'm certainly not squeezing so hard to cut my carotid arteries um, circulation off or anything. We don't want to be doing that. That's seldom a good thing, right? But but take hold of that whole laryngeal region and try dragging ever so gently downward. And now Lift your chin to the ceiling, right? I'm looking to, again, I, I sound like a broken record with this, but I'm looking not to just stretch, but I'm looking to stretch and have you help me find a stretch that to you feels useful, feels familiar, feels relevant. All these different words and phrases I use to, to see connect you with that feeling, right? And once you find it, you might say, well, what do I do with it now? Well, you're already doing it. By, by your brain picking up the fact that you're replicating that feeling, the therapeutic experience has already begun. And all we're simply gonna do is we're gonna hold the stretch, okay? Simplistically, we're holding the stretch until the negative feeling dissipates, whether it's during the stretch or when you let go, okay? Um, that conflicts or contrasts considerably with laryngeal manipulation or laryngeal reposturing, not that they don't have value, um, this is simply another way to frame um, voice work, to framework to the larynx and the hyoid, right, etc. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Feel awesome. I feel, yeah, so, okay, I, feel okay, so yeah.
1: Good, I feel so good, Walt. Feels so good. I, Thank you.
2: I, I thought you were going to sort of like nug- anyway. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, fall over. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it does. It immediately feel great. Did you have any more? Because um, just want I don't know if you have have anything for this, but I, I know there would be some people that I think uh, for singing and in general and in normal life. Um, have you know the 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 back of the the back of the neck um, Mm -hmm. area because of lifestyle for one thing and and that that's effect on singing is there anything that you would use to address uh, the the back here or someone could address to their partner in the back there
2: yeah um gosh you you you, i'm I'm rather unprepared wasn't on the script you sent me guys Um, i'm so sorry it's fine no no no, i'm I'm on you You Yeah. here, here, it's like there's so many avenues that, that we could take on that because, um, Steve, some people love it when somebody just beats the crap out of, out of you with your elbow, right? Sticking your elbows in that trap region and just like, you know, make you got to make that face when you do it too. Like work on your way around in there. And some people are like, no, dig harder, right? I want you to just, I want you to hurt me here, right? And then you get the other end of the bell curve who If you went at somebody with your elbows bare, they're immediately going to run out your door screaming out of fear that you're going to hurt them. right? So um, I I may use my elbow um, coming from behind in my patient. But I do it in a way that's, that's hopefully not threatening. I'm going to apply initially pressure in there where it's just the pressure of my elbow. I love a saying that I try to use, and I repeat it every seminar, the first thing you do is to do nothing. right? Putting your hands into an area, whether it's here or here, you don't know their past history, right? You don't know their their past or present threats and traumas, et cetera, and putting your hand on somebody's throat um, in a way that can seem threatening, I, I need to make sure it's safe. And the same thing comes with things like traps, right? Can you put an elbow in that area where the patient says, oh, that feels so good, or it hurts, but it's a good hurt, right? Not, I can take it. Those are Those are words I hate coming from my clients because it's like, I don't care if you can take it, I don't want you to have to take anything. I want us to negotiate this feeling, right? Um, I've got, I certainly have other things from a um, treatment perspective for this area as well as a self-treatment perspective. Um, I was gonna run to my, my cabinet and grab a sheet and try and show you, yeah, let me do that. You guys talk for a second.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember, Steve. I mean, I think we used to sh- share the same masseur um for yes. physical stuff and uh, i just <laughs> when walt said um i can take it that just reminds me of when he's um oh, when he used to be trapping muscles uh, in the back of my femur right the way up to my glutes and he would go you're right and i just go yeah.
2: yeah i'm fine i can take it
0: yeah, i can take it and i used to just yeah. take that shit oh every week yeah if no what if nor- i what what mean I think, i'm feeling good yeah
2: <laughs> yeah but yeah, yeah. i what i really despise is is therapist or whoever Taking what you said, Chris. Oh, no, I'm I'm okay. As okay, I got their feedback. They're fine. It's like, no, 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 man. They're just, they're just like, they're trying not to die right here because you're killing them. They're willing to put up with so much of what we think is necessary or Dr. Google said is necessary in order to get rid of that trap spasm. They're literally willing to bite on a stick while you get that crap out of them. Right. (laughs) And it's like, okay, well, I applaud your that hero instinct. Can we back it away? So your brain isn't ready to explode and you feel like I'm doing something that is useful, but not harmful. Okay. Now, um, I'm, a lot of this is going to be lacking. Um, and actually when I normally do these podcasts, I don't wear pants, so I don't want to go down too low on this thing. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, if you could just picture, here's a real long sheet here. Um, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to put it underneath my butt and I'm going to sit on it, right? and then I bring this sheet up and over and I, Bring it into that area that you talked about, right? I'm um, into the trap region. And I could, if I wanted to, I could twist it. I could make it a little bit more focused. And what you can't see right now is I could either pull with my arms like that or, sorry, I got to get rid of that notification. Um, I could pull. But what I really like to do is um, I've got I've got a handout I can, like, somehow upload it to the Facebook Live thing. Is to lift the leg up, wrap the sheet around here, and then allow the weight of my leg to allow that downward pressure. And I don't know if you can see from the camera what's happening here, but there's that downward force because the sheet's wrapped around my leg and my leg is just gently going to the floor. And then I can seek and search a type of stretch where you say, oh yeah, there's that place where I start to cramp up or I start to fatigue or it wakes me up in the middle of the night and I'm just gonna hold that stretch. Now, when you're doing self-work, you, you've you got ownership there. If you like a lot of pressure, I can just you know push hard If too much pressure feels feels threatening, I can keep it real light. And I love self-treatment from that perspective because I'm totally in control of it and I'm not going to be sold something that you, Chris, or you, Steve, is helpful for me that I think, man, this is either worthless because he's not doing enough or harmful because he's he's just pressing too hard.
0: Right on. And by the way, okay. we, we we can we've got an accompanying blog post to this when it comes out as a podcast. Okay. So we yep, can yep. put um, all of those things onto the blog post at the dot Good, good. And
2: Great. I can upload a. Uh, it's basically just a handout. I don't think I have any video on that one, but I might. I don't know. I'll look in my archives. So what else we got here? You wanted to talk about? Uh, the, the, hey, we we hit the list. What else you got? Yes. We did. Well, does
0: that? Oh. Are you going to try that thing, Steve? That um. Is that, is, were you asking for a friend?
1: <laughs> I'm not, it's not for me. It's just for oh. those, those guys, those guys oh, out yeah. there. All of those. those I'll, I'll let them know. I'll let them know. <laughs> but I'm just, just to summarise there, Walt, well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, because I like, to. you know, my simple mind, I think is what is what guides me here. But the, the, the mission for someone looking to, to get involved in this is, um, remove all preconceived ideas of what life is. No, b- b- remove all thoughts of what could con- constrict or constrain you. Then, um, if you are having issues in a particular area, um, using uh, oh, is it, it we talking pressure receptors in order to th- th- work that relationship with the brain, and and you want to hang out in that area for as long as possible to just mm. get to use to that sensation, and then from that point onwards is your choice as to how far you take the stretch
2: and or is that a general summary of yeah well and, and realistically none of us can get rid of preconceived notions because they're there right, right? but it's a like, can you temper them to at least allow your, your your patient or your or your client or whatever you call that person at least so that they have equal input into the relationship we can't let go of all that that we know and we believe right but I, I need to know what you feel and what you experience, right? And yeah, it, you, can, you can describe manual therapy in probably hundreds of ways in terms of what the effect is and how the effect um, creates an action. There's some really nice newer papers out there that talk to the, basically the multifactorial cascade element to when you do something here, um, it's, it used to be thought basically what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? That whatever we do here, um the impact is 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 processed here if there's a tight muscle here and we do this we basically do the muscle right here we make that tension go away but there we're we're just understanding more and more that even though we're doing it here it's probably happening up here at least a big part of it all right and to me it's just it's having the patience to work on a therapeutic relationship with the person versus a hierarchical dictatorship type of relationship which is i think unfortunately the norm in a lot of our shared works
0: absolutely it certainly is in singing teaching but again there's there's there are people um who are bringing information or just training to light in the coaching world that says that we're co-learners for example Um, we're we're doing this together we you know sometimes we're merely guides and we don't implant our ideas um specifically so
2: yeah but you and i both know you and i both know that there's going to be patients or clients that we lose because your ego's not big enough you know um okay i heard good things about you chris but you're acting pretty like normal right i they may look for that for that godlike complex person and you and i both know there's plenty of those people out there in our shared fields who are willing to to act like God and tell you what's wrong with you and what to do, it's like, okay, um, I learned from a lot of those God type people and I'm not doing it anymore. And you know what, there's room enough for all of us in here.
0: Absolutely. Um, one last question that I think is uh, just a quick one is um, if, if, for example, you are a singer and you're gonna use your self-help techniques, when is the best time to do them? Directly after the performance? Just when you feel it? the next morning twice a day you know what's how, how, or, or maybe when not to is maybe a better question yes and that's it that's it
2: <laughs> again what you just did chris was you asked me to dose you right you asked me to create a dosage schedule for you and let's i'm going to lose my my uh earbuds here in a second um let's pretend here for a second right let's pretend i say to you chris after every performance you do this work that's when you need to do it that's when it's best for you and you do it because you know you 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 paid me money and you're willing to 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 buy into my system but every time you do it it actually makes you feel worse but you keep doing it hoping for a different outcome right what i prefer to do is say, well, why don't you try it at different intervals and feel which one is more useful or helpful, right? And don't do it when you don't have time to do it. Do it when you do have time, right? Can you and I work together to figure out the right dosing schedule? And some people, we gotta tell them when to do it, right? But I prefer not to do that. I prefer to allow you to try all these different times and and see which works best for you because it may work better for you before, but it may work better for Steve after. And you know what? I need to be flexible enough to allow that. And I can be a real pain in the ass when it comes to people and their questions like that. And because I often will turn it back around to you and say, well, Steve, what do you think, right? When do you think it would be most helpful? Um, And then hopefully you don't get too irritated from me and we can talk about that. We can negotiate it and we can do some, basically some trials.
0: Nice. Well this has been excruciating, Walt. Absolutely uh,
2: excruciating. Oh, glad, glad to hear it. Yeah. Glad It hurts it, it hurt really good, right? <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, yeah, well that's an amazing thing, isn't it? Like um yeah, the, the the person who's doing the self-help is just the experimenter anyway. They'll discover, I guess, when the best time is. Um, yeah. great. So we we would love to invite you to um to let all of the listeners know and the people who are reading the blog, where they can find out more about you. What what have you got planned over the next 12 months?
2: Ah, got it. Well, um, the next couple of months is basically just kind of sitting here in my office with my mask on. But um, I, um, I've got a fairly robust schedule of classes. 95% of the classes I teach is my manual therapy for voice and swallowing disorders. And I teach it, um, well, it's primarily in the United States and Canada. I'm going to be coming to London. Um, end of February of next year to teach the, uh, the two-day version of the uh, voice and swallowing class. And then we're following that up with a very uh, limited edition um, um, small group masterclass where Stephen King and I are going to be getting together. We're going to be w- allowing you to work with us on some West End performers. Um, that's at the end of February. Um, another i am just i am so excited about this project debbie winter um stephen king and i are putting together first of master of arts program in manual therapy for voice and swallowing disorder um, out of a university out of the uk Um, we can release the name once we get accredited um, but hopefully that's going to be up and running by next year too so i'm going to be spending a fair amount of time in the uk being my regular classes as well as what Will become basically a couple time a year visit for me to work through the Master of Arts program with um, students each year. And it's some really exciting stuff that's coming up. And all of that. Well, we don't. Have, I don't have that on my website yet, but everything else is um, on my website, which is waltfritz.com. It kind of links you to my blog. Everybody's got a blog who thinks they have something important to say. And I do, too. Lots of articles there, um, as well as some links to my YouTube channels and uh, lots of self-help videos. Um, lots of videos, so yeah, lots of good stuff. There.
0: And so who, and those classes, by the way, or those seminars, um, who, what 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 level of vocal coach are they are they appropriate for? Would you say, or is there no limit?
2: You know, can I turn the question around and give it to you? You took the seminar, um, and you know more about the vocal coaching world. Can you answer that question?
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say there would be a. A limit to experience or skill because um <clears throat> i think in the end like like we've discussed in your different countries it's whether you can actually um practice it legally okay. for example or ethically so that is going to come into it anyway and you you'd have to get a level of training but i think If I, for example, took your course earlier on in my career, for example, it would have changed the trajectory of my learning, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And I would say that for anybody, that would be incredibly valuable. Um, uh, Not only as well getting a a big sort of anatomical view of the voice, and there's lots of uh, that education, which helps you to take on voice information even better, or to have a stronger anatomical training. So... I think in on so many levels, whether you end up practicing it or not um it's it's valuable to all
2: yeah i, I you know from a manual therapy perspective and be that a massage therapist or physical therapist, I love getting newbies right, fresh grads before they've had too much um, crap planted in their brain, um, but sometimes you know you got to go through the process like I did, and i was um I was doing this for for a long time before I got exposed to many of these um more um neurocentric narratives of looking at the way things work and don't work and it's just it's it is a lot more work i think to unlearn or temper what you've learned with some newer concepts or different concepts so um you know from the vocal coach perspective yeah i i I think coming in as a newbie could be interesting um it might be a little a little much to uh to process because it's it's kind of plucky it's a plucky approach um but yeah. Whatever level you think is appropriate. Just like um, you said, Chris, uh, you thought maybe had you come earlier, it would have been good.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It would, yeah. It would have, um, I would have taken information on differently. But I think if I would have come in early and I hadn't heard of a thyroretinoid, for example, um, I might right. glaze over a bit. So I think um, yeah. uh, having mulled over terms for maybe a year, you know, medical yeah. terms, it's easier to sit and listen, isn't it?
2: Sure. Yeah. I still my eyes glaze over sometimes when when whether it's it's vocal coaches start talking about aspects of their rabbit hole of their career or speech pathologists talk about all the things that they know. Like, I don't I don't make any pretenses that I I know all the stuff. Right. Um, I don't know what you know, but maybe we can come up with a language that helps you learn something from the approach that I'm trying to apply um, without feeling like we have to learn everybody else's job. Yeah. Right. So.
0: Great. Thank you, Walt. Right.
2: So went. much stuff.
0: Um, I've been yeah, keeping an eye. We've had a bunch of watchers, but we will also, um, as well as this Facebook Live, like I said earlier on, this will be put into podcast format. So um, if you're listening to it on the podcast app, this has been and gone on Facebook Live, but at least you're here on, on, on the echo of it. Um, and you can get along to the um, the nakedvocalist.com vocalist.com. To take advantage of the accompanying material, blog post, and any other um, pieces of material that have been mentioned by Walt, um, particularly the sheet tra- trap um, uh, self-help thing. So, so thanks for joining us. Much appreciated. Thank you, thank Chris. Appreciate you. it. Yep. Yeah. Great. Great. No take doubt. Care. See you again soon. Um, hang on the call. I'll just kill the Facebook
2: Live if I know how okay. to do it. Sort Stop of live stream. Thank thanks. you. Thanks for joining everyone.